0: This is the American Psychological Association's Division 15 podcast series on emerging research in educational psychology. My name is Jeff Green. Thanks for joining us. So I've always liked words. I like inserting unusual or infrequently used words into my everyday language, words like proprioception or zoinks. But I have to say, because of the global pandemic, I've grown to dislike another word I used to love, and that word is pivot. Pivot. As the pandemic forced students and educators to isolate, teachers were told they'd have to pivot their instruction to online methods and modalities, but pivot implies a relatively simple turn or shift. And what educators had to do to move their pedagogy online was much, much more than just a basic pivot. Online pedagogy involves a unique set of knowledge and skills deployed in novel ways that scholars have spent many years studying and refining and it's unreasonable to expect teachers to simply pivot their pedagogy quickly or without sufficient training and support. Fortunately, online pedagogy scholars and the important work they have been doing are getting the attention they have long deserved because we need them now and in the future more than ever. That's why I'm thrilled to be talking to Dr. Heather Leary who can help us better understand what online pedagogy is and how to do it well. Dr. Heather Leary is an associate professor of instructional psychology and technology at Brigham Young University. Her research focuses on tackling complex educational challenges in K-12 and higher education. She works collaboratively with practitioners in various disciplines such as science, math, arts, and also in various spaces such as online environments and professional development, all to iteratively design and implement potential solutions. She uses design-based research, research research-practice partnerships, problem-based learning, and research synthesis to generate usable knowledge and alignment between the principles of learning and instructional practice. Today, we're talking about the 2022 article in Educational Psychologist that Dr. Leary wrote with Drs. Leanna Archambault and Carrie Rice, entitled Pillars of Online Pedagogy, a Framework for Teaching in Online Learning Environments, which is part of a special issue of Educational Psychologist entitled Diverse Lenses on Improving Online Learning Theory, Research, and Practice. Heather, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, I think many people have kind of an intuitive sense of what online pedagogy is, but like, h- how do you define online pedagogy? What is it?
1: Oh, that so that's kind of a deep question, actually, because <laughs> online pedagogy is lots of different pieces. There are mm-hmm. lots of elements to it. It's not as simple, I think, as everyone wants it to be. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it can be a very simple idea when you boil it down to these really Simple elements. And I know I'm Mm -hmm. using that word simple a lot, but it can take on this idea of all of these many things, which Mm -hmm. in our paper we write about it, but there's theoretical frameworks and there's different strategies. And technologies and affordances and all of these pieces that we use in our lives when we teach and you put them together and they are this complex but yet simple idea. So online pedagogy to me is taking these elements together that are all of these different ideas and realizing that it's about relationships and community. It's about the strategies and the technology. It's about thinking of our learners as agents who can take responsibility in what they are doing with their own learning. It's about embracing innovation, but thinking about what a student can do. How how do they show what they know? And it's thinking about personalizing that process for them. And And those basic ideas involve a lot of complex things, but Mm -hmm. it's fairly simple to really go through those and think about those when you purposefully design online learning activities and purposefully design what you want students to be doing and how you want them to take that control of their own learning.
0: Yeah, I, I love that, and that's my sense of things that you talked about in your article. And that if I if I grab any one piece of your article, you talked about kind of five pillars to online pedagogy. If I grab any piece, you know, active learning. Um, I mean, oh, I, I know what active learning is. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. But I, I do think that when they all interact, and when you take the online context and all the complexities there, and all all the different factors that you need to consider, suddenly this dynamic interaction among very simple or simpler ideas suddenly gets really complicated really fast. And the thing that I really appreciate about your article and the work that you and other people are doing is that you get us to understand that complexity and then find a way to design through it. So I think the article is just such a wonderful tool for helping people better understand the complexities of online pedagogy, but also kind of how to approach it. So I think it might be helpful we kind of help listeners kind of walk through the various kind of pieces of your article. I want to start with the, kind of the theoretical frameworks that you and your co-authors asserted were kind of the foundation of online learning. And you talked about constructivism and situated learning. So how do those play out or how do they help us understand online pedagogy and learning?
1: Yeah, so they're, they're based in this learner centeredness mm-hmm. and constructivism. And situated learning, when you put them together, they build on these foundations of the learners taking responsibility of activating the the things they already know, of building knowledge and building skills mm-hmm. um, that they can use outside of that class that they're in. And with that, it also takes on this individual idea, which kind of goes with some personalization, but also that there's social activities in learning and Mm -hmm. that you're situated in that class right there in that online space and you can leverage each other's knowledge and processes and construction of the things that they're doing and the building they're doing and their work as a student as well as a peer. And Mm -hmm. together, all of that really helps the learner's, take some control of their own learning, but also kind of push forward in what else can I learn and how can I move my knowledge and my skills and activities into a new space than where I was at the beginning of my class.
0: Yeah, I really am pleased that you emphasized the constructive aspect to it, because I do think that's a great way to get to agency and activity and those things that you talked about that are so important. But then also the, the situated piece, and I, it just strikes me, in, and tell me if you think differently, because I could be thinking about this the wrong way. It strikes me that situativity is the key to understanding why teachers just can't pivot their instruction to online learning, right? Like the affordances and contextual aspects of teaching face-to-face are just different than the affordances and contextual cues and other things in an online space. And so there has to be some kind of translation, right? There's got to be some kind of design. It's got to be more intentional than just kind of shifting, right? Isn't it a different situation in and of itself?
1: Yeah. And, and it's a different type of community building because when you're in an in-person mm-hmm. class, you're seeing each other, you're reading social and physical cues, you're listening in real time, and that type of thing doesn't just immediately translate right over to an online space. Mm-hmm. That community, the aspects of community building and the, that situatedness of the space that you're in is mm-hmm. different. And, and we point this out in the paper, but some of the things that you see in online pedagogy do overlap with in-person pedagogical activities it's not like they're completely distinct and one is here and the other one's on this other end of the room and you do these different things right Mm -hmm. there is overlap but the need for a lot more purposeful activities a lot more design activities before you actually get into that space Mm -hmm. is really needed because right now it's not intuitively how we think when we go in and we start designing a class or designing a course or thinking about what we're going to do with our students or how we're going to do different things we're so used to the in-person mm-hmm. elements that we don't really even think about them that much anymore mm-hmm. but when you think about online you can't just pivot to it because you don't necessarily think that way it's a little bit of a paradigm shift in how you have to think about teaching and learning and i hope that someday and maybe sooner than later would be good that we get to a point where it isn't really a paradigm shift for us anymore to think that way. We already think if I'm doing this online, this is how I need to be thinking about it. These are the theoretical considerations. This is the technology I need to be using. This is how I'm going to build my community with my students and help Mm -hmm. them build the community among themselves. Mm -hmm. This is how I'm going to do assessment. This is how I'm going to do feedback. This is how we're going to do collaborative activities. This is the individual things that need to happen. How are they going to show me the things that they know just knowledge base versus the skills that they actually are growing all of those things. I hope that we get to a point where it isn't that big paradigm shift anymore that we can think that way intuitively. But Mm -hmm. I think right now we don't necessarily think that way intuitively. And so we need these frameworks to help us think through that purposeful design of what we're doing in that space.
0: That's such a great way to put it, right? You know, we, humans have been talking to each other and teaching each other things forever. And a lot of that comes naturally, but shifting it to an online context, as you said, like how you build community, how you leverage learner agency, how you provide feedback, all those things are just a little different. And you got to think about it. As you said, it it might not be the case that it's fundamentally or like, you know, kind of completely different, you know, nothing that we've done before will work, but it does require design and thought. And so I really like how you're positioning the task, you know, what is the task of online pedagogy? It's about designing and thinking carefully about those things that in a face-to-face context might feel more natural, or you, you might already have some level of facility with. So let's talk about your five pillars, right? So the five pillars of online pedagogy and help our listeners kind of get a general sense of what you're talking about. And of course, they should go and read the article for lots of depth and good ideas. But the first one is one that you've already mentioned, and that's building relationships and community. And you talked about social presence as a really important part of this particular pillar. Can you help us understand what social presence is and how educators can promote it in online contexts?
1: Yeah. So social presence in online activities is you're showing up to wherever those space is, wherever those connections are going to be. So mm-hmm. it's where you're going to be able to make those connections. It's where you are interacting And that presence in online settings can be as simple as like a discussion board. So, if you put up a discussion board in a learning management system, if you just ask your students to answer or respond to your prompts or answer questions in the discussion, sure, they're going to go in, they're going to do their prompt, you know, they're going to do their response. But if you're not there, if you don't have a presence there, they're not going to interact with you. So mm-hmm. you have to be present. Um, I oftentimes think of it as, and this is probably really old school, but there used to be a lot of people who did writing back and forth through snail mail to <laughs> a friend, right? Mm-hmm. They've never mm-hmm. met. They were pen pals. Yeah. and they would read each other's letters and they would answer each other's questions and respond and talk about all of the things that were going on in their lives. And they got to know each other really well, even though most of the time they never met. And it was because they were present in the words that they were reading from the other person and then responding to that and sharing of themselves in that sharing things they knew, sharing questions they had. And if you do that now in the online space, then you are going to have a presence there, but you have to be active in that space. And if you're not active in that space, then you don't really have a presence. So for me, that activity is going to give you the presence. And it's just like if you're doing synchronous things in an online course or in the online environment, if you don't show up to the synchronous activities, like if it's in Zoom or if someone's doing a live broadcast somewhere, If people don't show up there, then they're not going to have a presence. And Mm -hmm. so it's important to be active in the space to be able to have the opportunity to build those relationships, to be able to build the community together. Now, that can be asynchronous or synchronous, but you have to show up to have that happen.
0: I love that pen pal example so much. That communicates it so well, you know, cause you can, you can have a really deep substantive interaction asynchronously writing letters back and forth, or you could have a really superficial one and same thing face-to-face. And <laughs> you use this great term showing up. And my sense is showing up isn't just about being there. It sounds like you mean showing up is like deep engagement, use terms in the article, like interactive intensity, community cohesion. It sounds like that's the kind of showing up that you mean. It's really kind of an investment. Is that- yeah? Is that what we're going for?
1: Yeah, yeah. I like that word investment. It's not just seat time that you're there, right? You are there mm-hmm. and you're actively participating. You're invested in it. You are communicating and responding to the other people there in that space and in the community.
0: Yeah. And that there are specific ways and, you know, kind of empirically tested ways of creating that kind of community where it's more likely that social presence will begin to be felt and it'll be easier for people to show up. In your article, you talk about a lot of those things. And so I really encourage our our listeners to check out the article because you have a lot of great content in there. Another pillar that you talk about is active learning. And I suspect that many of the people listening to this podcast have some sense of, you know, what they think active learning is. But what what is active learning in an online context? Like how should we be thinking about it?
1: Yeah. So Active learning online, to me, isn't all that different than what you might do in in in-person activities. So in the online space, active learning can be flipped classroom activities, it can be think-pair-share ideas, and you can do that synchronously and asynchronously. You just have to give it the time to be able to have that play out, right? Because if you do a think-pair-share asynchronously and you have a small group, well, they they need to have time to think. They need to have time to respond, whether they're typing something out or making a video and saying, this is what I'm thinking, and then sharing that with the other group and then coming back together and kind of synthesizing it together. You can still do it, but you have to give it the time and space for it to happen. So, peer instruction or, you know, sharing each other's knowledge, having the students be the ones who are teaching a concept, that's another way of being active in the learning. I mean, and all learning is active, right? It's not like, well, maybe not all learning is active. There are (laughs) passive activities in learning, right? But but active learning is, it goes to the theoretical ideas here that it's really that the the student is the agent in the learning, and if the student is the agent, then they are doing something to find more knowledge, to synthesize that knowledge, um, and to share that with others. And that share part is really important. So you can do different things in synchronous and asynchronous activities in online and be active in that learning as long as you're thinking of the student as the agent to the learning activities.
0: hmm Yeah, I I like that. And I I really like the idea of this kind of asynchronous, extended think-pair-share where there's really time for students to do probably more thinking and Mm -hmm. and different kinds of pairing. And then the sharing piece in the article, you talked about how educators can position students as experts when they're engaging in sharing, which I really like because that seems to also afford a different kind of activity, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. And and I think we want students to get to the point where they see themselves as an expert in something. Hey, I've done all of this reading and I've listened to podcasts or I've, you know, I am the one who has dug really deep into this understanding. And now I know something I didn't know before, but everybody else didn't do the same depth on that one topic I did. So now I am a little bit more of an expert in this. And of course, you know, expertise also hopefully comes with that humility of, I know a lot and now I know I don't know everything. And mm-hmm. so, you build expertise in areas, but hopefully it builds some other skills that will help in transferring the things that they're doing in one learning environment to another.
0: And that leads so nicely into the, the next pillar, which is about leveraging learner agency. And it sounds to me like, you know, Being present, showing up, the active learning, the kind of embracing of becoming something of an expert all requires this kind of learner agency. And so what is that agency and why is it so important in an online context?
1: Yeah, so to me, the agency that is there for the learner is that they're responsible for their learning. Mm -hmm. They come expecting that they have to put in some work. They're not just going to be told everything they need to know. They're not just going to have to regurgitate information, but a lot of that really is responsibility for their own learning, and that they have to be an active agent in that learning to be able to push themselves forward, to be part of that community, and it takes a lot of different skills to be built, like self-regulated learning, or there's motivation in there as well, right? Learning, what is the thing that motivates you? Why are you even here? What do you want to get out of it? So that leveraging of learner agency, really, to me, that one kind of takes in a lot of different ideas when it comes to constructivism and situated learning, too, that the student has to have some kind of desire and expectation for themselves in that responsibility for their learning, In the online environment, it really goes back to some of their motivation and what are their expectations. And in that community, sharing what those expectations are individually can actually be a really powerful activity and helping the other students maybe see, hey, maybe I should make that my goal as well. Or maybe as a whole group, if we're kind of a cohort community here, that we can work on some of these things together as well, Hmm. but it helps Mm -hmm. also with, you know, in that peer environment of students seeing that everybody has different needs and expectations too, and that they can, they can all learn and grow.
0: Yeah. You know, the, I'm hearing a lot of modeling, right? So I I really Mm -hmm. like this idea of having students share their expectations and, you know, their reasons for being there and that kind of thing. And it it sounds like you're advocating for teachers to create an environment where students can kind of teach each other about agency. Because I I guess it's, you know, the research would suggest, right, that not all students are naturally good at kind of understanding their agency and exerting it online, right? Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I really appreciate that perspective. And in your article, you have a number of different things that teachers need to learn and professional development that could be provided to teachers to help them create that environment where agency can be taught and supported. And that leads really nicely into another thing that you talk about that teachers need some help with, and that's mastery learning and feedback. So, I mean, what are the things that teachers might not know about those things in an online context that you would really hope that they would pick up from your article or other kinds of professional development?
1: So, For mastery learning and feedback, I think it's really important for teachers to recognize that skills are going to be mastered at different times, depending on the student's expectations and what they put into it. Mm -hmm. And that that's okay. That feedback is so vital to mastery learning. Mm -hmm. And that needs to be formative feedback, not just some summative feedback at the end. And you're like, great, now you're going to go do something else and maybe you'll go back to this. But But that development happens with ongoing feedback so that the mastery can take place over time. And mastery really is, you know, it's a great way for students to show what they know, what they can do. And I think that's such an important thing for any learner to be able to have these days is something that they can, a skill, a knowledge base that they can share with others and let other people know that I have these, I can use these so that they can do different things in work. They can't just regurgitate ideas, but they can actually do something with them. So mastery learning and ongoing feedback for teachers, it's important for them to understand that it really shifts things to, again, that responsibility to the learner. Mm -hmm. And it's important for teachers to be able to use a variety of different ways to assess that, to encourage that, to monitor that for the students. Mm -hmm. Because so many learners are working on you know i'm getting ready for an exam or i'm getting ready i'm writing this paper and sometimes they wait and they don't take the process i guess in the learning opportunities when it comes to mastery to do things they do them sometimes last minute or they do it towards the end instead of taking that opportunity for the process to gain mastery where feedback is so important and mm-hmm. and I think it's important for teachers to recognize that, they, again, you need to have time in the online environment for students to be able to go through that process where they do things and get feedback and do things and get feedback, whether that's between them and the teacher or peer activities where they're doing things and getting feedback. But teachers need to recognize that it's important to have that time to do it. Now, again, like, That may not actually be just something that you have to think about in online, but what you do have to think about in online is when you're designing when things are going to happen, how can you make sure that you give enough time and how can you make sure that you're getting the feedback to them when they need it? Mm -hmm. It seems a little bit more intuitive in an in-person classroom to be able to do that feedback and Give the time and space for them to work on mastering whatever it is they're working on, some kind of knowledge or some kind of skill. But online, it's a little harder to do that monitoring, and so it's really important for teachers to be aware of that and to think through what can I do so I am monitoring and helping them through that.
0: Yeah, that seems like a really important point. You know, when I think about you know encouraging mastery and providing feedback, I mean we all know feedback is tricky. (laughs) <laughs> right? Like yeah. sometimes I try to give feedback in a positive way and it just doesn't come across right. Or, you know, someone's like, that's not when I needed," it, or that's not the feedback I need at this particular moment. And it's, it's tough to do face to face. I think it's even harder to do online and asynchronously if it happens to be asynchronous. And so it just reminds me of how important that social presence is, right? So yeah. um, people are more likely to uh, receive feedback well from someone they feel connected to. And, people are more likely to provide feedback in a useful way when they get a sense of the other person's social presence. So it it really, it really connects so nicely to some of the other pillars that you've already talked about. And for the feedback to be effective, as you said, it's got to be thoughtful and designed well, and connected to that social presence. Definitely. And then the fifth pillar that you talk about is, is personalization, which again, strikes me as something that probably requires a lot of nuance and depth touch. I mean, how can we Leverage technology to do personalization and online pedagogy in ways that might be more difficult in other modalities?
1: Yeah. So I think that we can actually, as you said, leverage technology to do this really well. Mm -hmm. Because in personalization, you're trying to help the student build their agency. Mm -hmm. And you want to collaborate the learner and the teacher together to set goals, to set expectations, to figure out what do you want this learning experience to be for you and then to monitor that. And really you can use technology well to set things up to do that. So Mm -hmm. you can do asynchronous check-ins. You can have alerts that come across that it's time for me to check in with my instructor and the instructor saying it's time to check in with this student so that they can keep track of it. And it's not an overwhelming thing, but it's that leveraging of technology to help us do what we can do best as human beings in that personalization activity, and then have the technology help us remember to do things and when to do them. And I think that can, in a way, build that agency for the student, but it also gives a sense of commitment and community together too. So you're using that technology to remember to do things, but then you hopefully act on that and do those things. So then you're there you have a presence and you're being social and collected, you know, connected (laughs) Mm -hmm. together and collaborating Mm -hmm. together as well. So again, like all of these things kind of they they mesh and mingle together Mm -hmm. to make it look like this kind of big complex thing, but it's actually kind of these simple activities that you need to be doing as a learner or as an instructor to be able to make this work really well.
0: Yeah. And again, there's, I think you're right that they are Things that we know, active learning, personalization, learner agency, but they take on this kind of different form and it's it's not rocket science. We don't need to reinvent the wheel, but online pedagogy just sounds like it requires careful thought and design and intentionality that may not be natural right. for everyone. And so you do have to kind of sit down and really think through it. And your article with its five pillars, I think really helps educators do that and helps researchers kind of identify, okay, what do we understand about this context? And and what do we still need to understand? So as you know, we've covered a lot of ground and you know, our listeners are going to have to go to your article to, to go deep in all these things, which I encourage them to do. I guess my last question about your article specifically is about teacher preparation. Mm-hmm. So You know, if you had a magic wand, if you were the czar of teacher preparation, what are the couple things that you really wish teacher preparation programs would do to help educators be ready for that online pedagogy experience?
1: Yeah, I think teacher preparation programs need to see online activities and the online space as part of what is happening in education. It's not a little trend that may be happening or may not be happening, but this is becoming, if it isn't already in some people's lives, it's a fundamental part of education. And because of the pandemic, I see it moving forward even that much more. And and so I think that teacher education programs need to model this with their students like the these pre-service teachers need to experience online activities and what online pedagogy is as a student themselves and then they need to kind of break down what does it look like for a student what does this look like as a teacher and what do you have to think about as a teacher so you can have these experiences as a student and very frank, straightforward conversations about what all of this means and how do you do that and what does that mean for the grade level that you're teaching? So I think it's important for teacher ed programs to be very thoughtful and incorporate this, not just as a, oh, here's your technology class, you should learn what you need to there. It needs to be incorporated into all of the things that they do as a teacher so that they know when the online space is the right place for them to be or when it is where they have to be that Mm -hmm. they can do it really well. They can be intentional with it. They can be deliberate in the community building and in that practice of what they need to do in that space.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Can't be a single course or, you know, a special PD topic, right? It it has to permeate the program. Yeah. Yeah. So I I really appreciate you talking to me about your article. It really is wonderful, and I encourage everyone to to check it out. I know that a lot of people want to write articles for educational psychologists, and they're sometimes not so sure how to approach it, or they have questions. Do you have any um, advice for them, having written and published an article in the journal? Any advice for those trying to do the same?
1: So this was an experience for me. And really, the collaborative aspect of this, doing this with colleagues who i have done a lot more writing than I have. But also thinking about who is our audience for this and what do we want to convey to them, that was really important. But it was very nice to do it in a collaborative way, that I wasn't just trying to figure this out on my own. But I'm a big advocate of doing collaborative work. And I think that it's really important that we do more of that in the research that we do. And so for me, that's just a a great idea for anyone who wants to do something in this journal and moving things forward in this space is that collaborative activities can actually get you further than if you're just trying to do it on your own. And I realize some people like to write articles on their own, but I think that collaboration can be very powerful. And I don't really think that any one of us could have written this article as it is without the other two. So that would be my biggest encouragement for anyone is figure out who could you work with that has ideas like you, but also brings something new to the things you're thinking about to be able to Mm -hmm. create something that is going to be beneficial Mm -hmm. to the community.
0: That's great advice. Absolutely. So, you know, the journal educational psychologist really wants to publish articles that are pushing fields forward that are advancing theory and methods and conceptualizations, et cetera. And, you know, can, can someone do that on their own? Sure, right? But that sounds really hard. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think it's, a lot, it's a lot easier when you've got multiple people and you can kind of bounce ideas off each other and one person brings one part, another person brings a different part and you kind of put it all together and, you know, inspire each other. So the collaborative piece, I think, is a, a really important piece for most people. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm, I'm pleased that that happened in the case of, of your article, because you can see how it really brings together different areas and puts out something new. Yeah. You know, just before we wrap up, uh, anything that you're working on at the moment that you're really excited about your scholarship or anything else that's kind of getting you excited to get out of bed in the morning?
1: Oh, I always have lots of fun things that I am doing right now, though, I am in a partnership working collaboratively with our online space here at our university. And we're focused on. What does student success look like? What does the institution need to be doing for student success in the online environment? And Mm -hmm. taking that not just as how do we help our undergraduates be successful, but what can we do moving into like the space of high school, um, online Mm -hmm. high schools, and helping students when they're younger to build these skills that are necessary to be successful as an online student, Mm -hmm. and then helping them to have that so when they matriculate into a university, they have those skills in their building, and then they can possibly be mentors, helping other students, whether they're younger or they're the same age, being able to do that and learn those things. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, we realize it does take time, but it's very exciting to see how we can be pushing things and moving things forward so that we can be supporting students, but students are supporting each other too.
0: That's great. You're really walking the walk. And I I love the idea of moving back into high school and other earlier preparatory places to kind of help students not only be ready for what comes next, but also helping each other. It's got to get into the culture, right? It's got to get into how students talk to each other. And so um, I'm excited that you're doing that work. Thanks. Okay. So let's wrap it up here today. I really encourage our listeners to check out Heather's 2022 article in Educational Psychologist entitled Pillars of Online Pedagogy, a Framework for Teaching in Online Learning Environments, which she wrote with Leanna Archenbalt and Carrie Rice. Uh, Heather, thanks again so much for talking to me about your article today.
1: Yeah, thank you.